This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Well, Rummy's not with us today, ladies and gentlemen. Feeling a little under the weather still. We hope the best for her. And gosh, a few of the members on our team are a little under the weather. Guys, get well, get back to us. Grant Hardy joining us on the show today. Mr. Hardy, happy uh, new week as we just got through a, a weekend. Hopefully it was great for you. Hey, pal. Absolutely happy Monday. And uh, yeah, things are humming along. See, we got a warning uh, about measles, right? Have you heard this yet? Oh, I think mm. so, right? It's mm-hmm. supposedly big elsewhere and it's maybe coming here is that is that what i heard i understand i believe there's outbreaks in montreal they're finding it because apparently measles is the most contagious um illness that we we have that can uh, that um human beings can grab onto in the sense of how easy it is to catch it uh you can walk into a place where somebody who was in there 40 minutes before had it and pick it up that way with with barely Jeez. having do, doing anything apparently uh in europe big i know that a lot are talking about it and it makes me stop and say geez i hope i am immunized back when i was a kid for this and i don't know how good that is now as you know a 50 something wondering what the heck uh whoa <laughs> it's kind of wondering isn't it, it. Yeah, Because if you ask me, oh, what have you been immunized against? I know I've had all my shots, but I would really pause for a second. I'm like, oh, I need to see those records. Yeah, I would have no idea. I'd have no idea where to go. I would just say, hey, man, can't you guys give me those shots again right away? I'll be there on Thursday. Like, let's let's get ahead of this. So um, take care of yourselves, folks. I know that mm-hmm. immunization f- has dropped off, they've said, and, and we want, especially our young people, uh, making sure they're taken care of. And there's a few of these things, you know. We're talking a lot more about shingles and things like, uh, like measles now back on the table. Let's take a boo. Let's see what we've got coming up on the program today, folks. We speak with Amy Manti about her art show through my through the through my lens, excuse me. We learn more about the show and what it's like touring around Canada shortly. The Lions Foundation of Canada Dog Guides are looking for volunteers who have type 1 diabetes to participate in a program. Devin Wilkins is gonna share more. We always love our conversations that Danielle McLaughlin has with us. And today on Know Your Rights, Danielle is joined by law student Nima Shoali to talk about the Innocence Project. Really good conversation. Important one, too. Coming up later on in Hour 2, right here on Kelly and Ramya. Well, I love this inspiration, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll explain why after we get into this here. An A&W Canada franchise noticed that customers eating were replacing burger patties with hash browns. Now, this has inspired a new menu item. Uh, Priya Dillon is excited to change. The change is introducing a spicy pear peri spicy potato. Spicy pear peri potato. Uh, she sees it as an acknowledgement of the South Asian community. It's also just like we see you, you know, in Canada right now, we see who you are and here's something that we think is, you know, really going to fit what you're looking for. So I think it's, I think it's exciting, but I think it also speaks to a demographic that, you know, potentially maybe doesn't come to AW right now. 
So this particular sandwich features a crispy hash brown garnished with red onion, lettuce, tomatoes, and a spicy sauce between toasted buns. Grant, what I love about this is exactly what was said off the top. I mean, I've heard of the, um, you know, buddy sandwiches, especially watching stuff like Coronation Street um, and other places where the community has, with, they can sell them. They're, they're in bulk, but people want them. But here in Canada, here's someone observing what's going on and saying, hey, Hey, out goes our standard burger, and here we are putting... Well, I love that because mainly what she says, people are noticing. And we know that so many food choices, when people say, hey, look, wow, those people are doing that. You know, back in the day, we were all so set in our ways, and no, nah, I'm not sure, that's weird. And now we're, we, we, so many people out there show us what's weird about trying something different. Wow, what if, funny enough, Grant... I like this. Oh, exactly. It's so easy to just make a determination like this is appropriate lunch food, but this isn't really something you should have for dinner. This is totally right. weird. Don't put these together. But it's so fascinating how so much of our food, our cuisine is just centered around cultural assumptions. I mean, I think I heard that the first sandwich or burger, there's some anecdote about, you know, someone was playing cards and he's just like, oh, I don't want to get up. Can you just put some meat between, you know, a couple slices of bread and there you go. So it's all, all about questioning our assumptions, right? Exactly like what well, they're doing here. Yeah, and, and I think you said it right there in the sense of what we're used to, what we were raised with. You know, I know I was raised a lot with the meat, vegetables, potatoes theory, right? And having a oh, dessert yeah. and how many of those things over time have kind of worked against as you get older and your your doctor says, what the hell are you doing that for? <laughs> and, and yet, well, I, I don't know. It's, it's all I know. And timing. Oh, I have to eat at, you know, your body knows. Oh, it's noon. Hey. Never mind formatting your script. Get in the kitchen and get something for me. Your head works that way. And unfortunately, sometimes when it comes to food, it works against us. Uh, it's um. just, yeah, so nuanced, <laughs> so, so comforting, so hard to break away. And it's all about our hunger too, right? So it's really tr tricky to question those assumptions. I know even down to when we moved to London here from Montreal, my dad was so used to eating Five o'clock hour. He couldn't believe oh, some of the neighbors yeah. coming outside at seven at night, calling their kids, dinner. he walk over, dinner, this late? What, it's not your business, sir. Why are you eating so late? Those poor <laughs> kids have been at school. Aren't they hungry? That's enough, sir. We're going in to eat now. All right, what are you having? Oh, a nice roast. Anyway, Grant, let's step aside for a couple of moments. How All do you right. en enable accessibility in Google Docs and other products that are out there, folks. Michael Babcock, he's here in a couple of moments. He's going to let us know on our Tech Talk after this. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Subscribe to our podcast if you would, and maybe give us a rating and review. Certainly would appreciate it. It's the Kelly and Rumya podcast. If you do that, you can listen to the show in segment form. You can listen to the complete episode. We toss on an audio vanity card on the end. I'll supply that one today for you, ladies and gentlemen. Whatever way you have to consume the program that works for you, we appreciate it. That's the podcast from your favorite podcast platform. Today on the program with me from the home studio in Vancouver, I'm at my home studio here in London, Ontario, Kelly McDonald, with Mr. Grant Hardy. 
Thanks, Kelly. And uh, today it's time to join Michael Babcock. Lots of stuff to talk about today as he joins us this and every Monday to talk all things tech. App news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Romeo. Welcome to the program, Michael, and happy Monday. Well, happy Monday to you too, Grant. I have a quick question for you and Kelly off the top here before we jump into it, just because I like to mix things up a little bit. I was thinking about... when I come on with you guys, I'm going to be fully transparent with people. There are times where I have more nerve wracking days, like, you know, second oh, no. guessing myself. And it takes me, I figured out on average, five to six minutes into the segment to say, you know what, uh, I'm here. We're doing this. We're going to make it through whatever happens. I'm curious, do you and Kelly have that issue, Grant? And if so, how long does it take you into the show before you realize, you know what, I'm going to finish this out and what happens, happens. Well, I'm curious to hear from Kelly because he's got so much experience. But for me, absolutely. Like as someone who, you know, has to kind of push myself. I work in media, but I'm a little bit introverted uh, and anxious sometimes. Absolutely. It it takes a long time to be comfortable. And I still have those moments where I'm sort of like, mm, you know, am I being genuine? Am I really doing this justice? Um, so yeah, I feel you. Kelly. <laughs> I always say um, at least once a week, I get a day where the mouth won't catch up. I'll try to speak at a certain pace and it's, oh, it's like it's in mud. Um, I know to forget, as we all know, when you make a mistake, a flub, correct it, especially if it really matters. You're giving out information. You go, oh, I better correct that. But I think the disadvantage you guys have, um, and it took me a bit to get this, is you're not doing it every day. So, of course, you get better. Mm-hmm. Everybody says practice makes perfect. But it's sort of like like they refer to in baseball, Michael, that if a pitcher has a bad outing, he's got four or five days to wait till he's, he can redeem himself. Or if somebody drops a ball in the outfield, the guy stays in the game unless he's really having a bad day and, that, and, can, and forgets it. Just like yeah. unpacks the elephant memory and it's gone. So for yourself, when you know, oh, man, this is one of those days. And all you can do is live through it, forget it and move on where I could screw up here and they're still leaving me on here for two hours saying, good luck, buddy. (laughs) And and we're trying to teach poor Grant that. (laughs) Well, thanks to both of you for giving me enough time to find my notes. I appreciate it. Yeah, we we figured, we figured, come on. We're not new here, right? All right. (laughs) right. We've got a ton of awesome stuff, though, to chat about today. Is it Celeste had an update? Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you talk about how that's allowing hands-free usage. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Celeste is a company that started in Canada, and they are uh, providing wearable glasses with a camera at the top of the nose. Um, And there's a single button on the right arm of the glasses that you simply press in order to trigger it, whether that be to read text or to or to describe a scene. Um, What they have offered now is a new assistant called Ella. And what you can do is ask Ella, hey, Ella, read this to me. Or what they describe is, hey, Ella, find grocery item. And that's going to use AI, Hmm. send a picture of the items that you have in focus of the camera, and then give you verbal feedback based on, oh, it's in front of you to your right, for example. Um, And uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. I was impressed when that got released with the current glasses because i'm like oh this opens up hands-free opportunities to be able to control my glasses in my environment 
Oh, gosh, yeah. I love the idea of just walking if you were doing something like that or just looking around and that not explaining the perspective or having to worry or for a lot of people who've been low vision or blind, let's say, all their life, mm. who don't really have that concept. I, I talked to a friend about using Be My Eyes and taking a picture to describe stuff and he's very quick to say, yeah, but I wouldn't know where that would be in yeah. here. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah. Well, I've never seen, I don't have that concept. How high do I have to hold this? How, where do I have to point exactly? I don't even know where it would be in here. You can say, oh, in the center of the room. Well, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. I mean, yeah, okay, I could go around and find the center of the room eventually, but to do something like that, point something at something I physically can't touch, can't do it. So fascinating with yeah. this. This is really gonna help. It is, um, I'm excited for it. Oh, go ahead, Grant. No, exactly. And just anything scene related, you know, like these apps mm. like Be My Eyes. Uh, I don't know yeah. if you've played with Ogo in the U.S. that can identify street signs, but it just just being able to sort of walk around. Imagine if you had an app like Be My Eyes that would could describe a movie or a show to you. I'm super excited about these wearables. Yeah, yes. it's fantastic. Uh, Michael, uh, after work, I'm getting an update on JAWS, like my personal machine. I'm getting it on this one. Mm -hmm. What's new on the latest JAWS? What should oh. I be wary of? Okay. Now, hopefully this is the update to 2024 and the latest build of 2024, and you've been on 24 for a couple of months. If not, remember that you have the face-in-view feature coming to JAWS as well. So the newest version of JAWS uh, was released in uh, October of 2023 is JAWS 2024. And this has the uh, face-in-view where it'll tell you you're centered, you need to move your face to the left a little. It also gives you information about the lighting in your room. So if it's bright enough to see you, or if it's too dark. And then lastly, it'll give you some basic information about your background. Um, the example that they use is, do I have laundry in the background? So it'll tell you that information using the AI image recognition. Also, a Discord update. So if you've thought about using Discord, it's very popular for gamers and a lot of other organizations are starting to use Discord for uh, real-time communications. Um, JAWS has preliminary Discord support. You can go to dlee.org, that's D-L-E-E.org, if you wanna get more advanced Discord scripts. And one of the cool things about Discord is if you can tab and press F6, then you're gonna be successful with it. F6 will jump you between different sections such as the servers and the channels. Um, and JAWS gives you all that information by pressing JAWS key W. The last thing I'll mention is the uh, JAWS key, uh, I'm sorry, Windows Alt C, which will uh, bring up the call window and let you answer a call on Skype, Windows Link, or Microsoft Teams. So if you need a quick way to answer those uh, calls, then you'll be able to uh, do that with Alt Windows C. Um, and uh, you'll start to see that your scripts are updating for your programs like Outlook as well uh, on a more uh, granular basis than having to wait several months for updates to the whole JAWS program. Nice. Anything that can make teams a little less overwhelming, <laughs> I am cool with. So this sounds awesome. <laughs> um, Google Docs, another thing that can be a little bit overwhelming, but it's kind of a little bit more accessible. Uh, how do we enable accessibility in those products like Google Docs? Yeah, so with Google Docs, it's kind of important to enable the accessibility mode for Google Workspace. Um, this is your Google Docs, your Google Sheets, and your Google Slides. Uh, in order to do this on Windows, use the Control-Alt-Z, like Zulu keystroke, and this will toggle on and off accessibility. 
You also want, even if you're not using a Braille display, to enable Braille uh, support because that'll give you a better experience while navigating the uh, Google Docs or Google Sheets. And like accessibility, this is a toggle as well. So you'll want to press Control-Alt-H as in hotel, and this will toggle that on or off. You want to turn both of them on, and they should stay on from the next time that you load that specific browser, so you don't have to do it again. But again, that's Control-Alt-Z and Control-Alt-H. Excellent. Okay. What's an important fact that you can share regarding using accessibility when it comes to using these the accessibility with these tools? Yeah, so I can't emphasize it enough because you might turn on accessibility with Control-Alt-Z and then say, I don't know what that Michael guy was talking about. This isn't very usable. You need to make sure that Braille is on as well, even if you're not using it. Also, when you are using this with JAWS or NVDA on Windows, you need to disable your virtual viewer or browse mode. That's with JAWS key Z or NVDA key space in order to navigate the sheet or the Google Doc. Otherwise, when you're typing into the Google Doc or you're using your arrow keys, it's going to try to navigate you around the web page because as we all know, pressing H takes you to heading. But sometimes when you have to write the word Harry, you got to have the letter H. So make sure that JAWS key or, I'm um, sorry, that browse mode or virtual viewer is disabled on that. Um, and then this will work in uh, multiple browsers. These keystrokes uh, need to be pressed even if you are using Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge. Good to know. I think I've enabled uh, accessibility and it still wasn't really working for me. So I feel like I need to apply those other tips you just mentioned and then we should be good to go. Good to know. Uh, do we want to talk about some of the training events uh, coming up for users of Freedom Scientific products this month? Certainly. So I'll run through these fairly quickly. Um, on new, on the 15th, so Thursday at noon Eastern, uh, Freedom Scientific is doing an event to teach you how to customize your Outlook calendar. I really need to attend that because I need to use oh, that yeah. more. Uh, at 3 p.m. that same day, they're doing an event in the ACB community, um, and th that time is Eastern. All times are Eastern. Uh, this one, they are talking about navigating the Microsoft Editor, so your spell check and grammar check. The following Thursday at uh, 3 p.m. on the 22nd is going to be tips for navigating Excel, and then that'll be followed by uh 3 p.m. on February the 29th, and uh, going back to Google, navigating Google Drive on the web. You can get information about how to join uh, these last three events by going to acb.community, and that'll give you the Zoom links, or reach out to Vespero support, and they can get you the details so you can join live. So Apple fixed a voiceover bug in Mac OS X 14.3 that you actually shared with them, Michael. Uh, share what's fixed, would you? Yeah, so um, in macOS 14.01 and 2, in the mail app, if you had less than 1,000 emails, which hopefully most of you have less than 1,000 emails, uh, you would get the exact number of messages you had. For example, if you had 586 messages, you would hear it say 586 unread messages. Mm -hmm. If you had 1,000 or more messages, um, then it would only read the first digit. So for example, if you had 3,390, 95 messages, it would tell you three. you only have three. Yes, and that was disappointing. So they fixed yeah. that in 14.3. Slightly, Slightly deceptive. Back. 
Yeah, yes, but I, yes. I feel like that's a, could be an anti-anxiety. Like I could be like, oh, sweet, I've left oh, meal. <laughs> but I guess not. But, unless it causes call. anxiety because you're like, what happened to all those messages I had 20 minutes ago? <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> I went from 900 to one. <laughs> yeah, we got about a minute. Uh, a couple minutes left. I don't know if we've got time to dive into the large language model. Do we, or do you want to plug it really quickly? Uh, so I'll, I'll give a quick summary of it real quick. Um, so Apple released something quietly in October, and this is a new uh, multi-language model called Ferret. So I'll call it Ferret from now on. What's kind of cool is it understands and can interpret text and images, which means you can talk to the program and say, hey, in this image, take this shape and move it to the top of the image and add this to the shape and turn it this color. And because it can understand your text, text and what it's visually seeing, it can manipulate that image to make it uh, work the best way you want it to work. Wow. Is, yeah. is there a way we can try this now or is it mostly just uh, it's, for developers? It's available on GitHub. Oh, that's great. Have you played around yeah. with this at all? or? I have not. So it's it's for developers. So you got to build it into your tools. Um, so you can download it and use it, but I have not played with it. Uh, I have played with chat GPT for generating images. And the problem that I have with it is I thought I couldn't spell. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> Getting text into yeah. those images can be incredibly difficult, yes. <laughs> which is funny because it's not what it I would It should be easier. Uh, it should be easier. It should be. It should be. <laughs> Thanks, man. We'll uh, either we or Kelly and Ramya, we'll catch you next Monday. Have a great rest of your guys' show. Join us next Monday for more talk tech talk with Michael Babcock. And I'm actually noting here, Grant, we're not here next Monday. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. My goodness. Day. We'll yes. talk in a couple of Mondays then. Yeah. Yeah. I just realized that when you say it's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. Uh, coming up next, folks, will people with disabilities be purchasing the Apple Vision Pro? Beth Deer discusses on our headline segment. Stole it from your hearty. She stole it. Oh, uh, we'll do that after this. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Wonderful segment with Michael Babcock. Grant Hardy joining me today on the program. And, you know, I love this question off the top, even though, folks, it was a legitimate question, even though he was stalling uh, while he found his place. <laughs> and that's part of the techniques, Grant. But it's so interesting because when I started working on the show, and sometimes we'd have content to read, sort of like what you do for headlines, and we'll get into in just a moment. Um, but one of the issues I, I thought, oh, gosh, I don't want to sit here and read. I got a format. I got to sit there and read for a couple. Oh, it was just terrible. But we had the benefit of being able to practice every day. Now, that being said, you're practicing in front of an audience that's... <laughs> He doesn't know that word. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the beautiful thing is even if you were in front of a crowd, you still have the opportunity to kind of like, oh, scrap this, take two, take three. Yeah. But with the live yeah. show, we mm -hmm. ain't got that. No, no. The only difference is... is here, you can't hear the audience laughing so boisterously at you. <laughs> you, you, just kind of, you just have the benefit 
of imagining it. We welcome oh, you into Talk Headlines. <laughs> exactly, which could be worse. To Talk Headlines <laughs> with us today, we welcome in Beth Deer out in Edmonton, our, of course, our reporter producer for the program, and she's covering with Grant today. They're both going to do a two-headed monster on our headline segment uh, as we work our way through. Beth, happy week. Welcome back. Hello, hello. I like that. Two-headed monster. That's fun. Also, the conversation you guys were having leading up to this, that is so true. I remember when we filmed our primetime special back in November, and uh, I remember being, like, kind of worried about how we were going to get, you know, on and off of the stage. And <laughs> Apple Orchard was like, it's good. Like, we have, we have loads of time. Like, we're going to, like, chill. The audience can chat for a second. You guys can, you know get on, sit down, get comfy, and then we'll get into it. And then vice versa, when you go to leave, same thing. And uh, yeah, you definitely don't have that kind of leeway with a live show. Well, and doing oh, what yeah. you guys come from, that history of, yeah, okay, it's great. We can do some retakes and stuff like that, whether it mm -hmm. takes 10 times to do a stand-up. A lot of places you guys were shooting, there were people stopping to watch. Oh, what's this? Who are these? What are they filming? And that adds its own audience, even though it's it's a uh, an audience that you didn't ask for, didn't arrange, and have no idea yeah. what you're doing and what this is yeah. about. And that's stressful I, too, guys. I think the yeah, first... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, uh, sorry, Beth. I think the first time I yeah, ever uh, I shot something, I was like, oh, can we just wait until there aren't as many people watching? Uh, <laughs> producer at the time is like, yeah, Grant, you need to grow up. <laughs> That's gonna, gonna be and the camera's going to continue to gather more of them. Go ahead, Beth. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever filmed was in like a park, and it was um, like it was the beginning of summer, which in Edmonton and you know, anywhere where it's cold, like the first kind of like sniff of like warm weather and like just nicer mm -hmm. days that the parks are just rammed. And I oh, had yeah. come up with this like kind of speech or like monologue to a certain extent that we were filming. And uh, I was so nervous, you guys. I remember like I was wearing a cardigan, but I didn't want to take it off because I had sweat like so much. I was so <laughs> nervous that I was just like constantly getting like paper towel and blotting myself. There were so many people and kids just like staring and watching. Yeah, it's- oh, uh, yeah. It's wild. <laughs> we uh, we at one time, Grant, I, I gather you probably remember this. I think it was just before, Beth, it was just a, a year or two before I left doing television, doing ATW, where we actually had to host the show each month, uh, each week, a different reporter, different town. We hosted the show from whatever a location. And boy, mm -hmm. that was a lot. A lot of retakes, a lot of time spending a whole day yeah. at a place and anything public, you were just like, oh my goodness. Uh, Beth, yeah. we're going to start with you today on headlines. Awesome. I love that. So this article I found so interesting because I'm sure kind of everyone's heard at least of uh, Joe Biden's recent slip up and kind of you know, all of uh, everyone's opinions on that. But mm. the article itself started by saying any parent who's ever called one of their children by other name or even like their family pet uh, likely empathizes with uh, President Joe Biden and his mix up with the French leaders. 
So I'll be honest, I didn't realize it was, I didn't realize his mix up was like over French leaders. I thought it was something else. But anyway, I guess the human brain has trouble pulling names out of a stuffed mem or stuffed memory banks on cue. But when, uh, when they are like verbally stumbles, like, I guess that is like pretty normal. So like, I don't know. I I am someone that just messes up all the time, and my uh, like coming from my family, my granddad, bless his heart, he used to. I have five cousins, and I think every time he would go to talk to one of us, he would go through every other one's name before he would actually <laughs> get to the right <laughs> child. Um, <laughs> but I thought this was really interesting. So Biden is eighty-one and has a decade-long history of you know being being good at his job in terms of remembering people's names and stuff like that but he has started getting lots of attention after this little slip up and i guess they had a special special counsel come together this past week and they decided that biden shouldn't face criminal charges for his other misdoings recently i don't completely understand what happened and the article didn't go into great detail but he also messed up on the death of his son who died from brain cancer back in 2015 i guess mm -hmm. he like messed up on the date by like seven years or something like that mm -hmm. anyway Biden is not only a candidate for making verbal slip-ups, but the former president, Donald Trump, uh, has also done that recently back in November. Now, they are both older men, which, personally, I just think, I don't know, I'm kind of on the team of, like, give them a break <laughs> yeah. um, if, if they yeah. deserve it. But certain glitches are very common at any age which i thought that was just kind of interesting because yes with age like your memory does get worse but in terms of actually slipping up on names unless a researcher found that unless you are someone who kind of doesn't categorize names in your brain which obviously i actually don't think by the sounds of it it doesn't sound like you actually know how you categorize names like it's just something that obviously your brain and body does by itself but right unless you are right. someone that doesn't do that you are very unlikely to not slip up at times in terms of names which i am definitely someone who categorizes names you know i have family i have friends i have maybe people that i've met camping or i've had people people that i've met like within the blind community and you know like you have names through like associations and stuff like that but it is incredibly common to slip up. Have either of you ever been bad at this? Well, I think th this brings forward an another interesting uh, discussion here because we're talking about when people slip up, why do they slip up? Is it cognitive decline? Definitely, and the answer is no. It's very clear that people need to be given some very specific mm -hmm. psychological and cognitive tests. Uh, I always find, uh, personally, anxiety for me is just a big thing. That the hardest time to recall information is when someone is staring sort of across the table at me mm -hmm. or next to me and like, come on, you should know this. You know, this is easy. That's the time when your brain really starts to play, tr play tricks on you and you know, sort of like, I think I know this, but now I'm starting to overthink it. And that's the most difficult time to um, 
where you sort of begin to overthink. Mm-hmm. I find certain words just to lose them. Like asparagus used to be my word to always lose. Now it's not all of a sudden, right? I could sit there right. and, and come up with it so quickly, whereas two years ago, no way. And that was the way it was since I was six, seven years old. I just yeah. couldn't. I, what's that thing? You know, I, I couldn't remember. Names, I've been pretty, always pretty good with. But if your mind is full of other things, and I would imagine addressing anyone and the time when he did this in the circumstances and what uh, dealing with reporters coming at you, saying some of the things due to this report, you, you weren't in the best of moods. And you certainly yeah, had it, multiple things on your mind. For sure. And it does actually say whether it's names, dates, or something else, memory yep. also can be affected by stress, distractions, and if someone's thinking about more than one thing, which it is me you know, on the best day at the moment, <laughs> I'm terrible. The amount of times I've called it Henley Patronus this week is ridiculous. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, I know myself, and I, I think I said this the other day on the show, um, when when I had my health issues in, in, in now I got to remember now, 2019, I don't want to be seven mm -hmm. years out. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I know myself <laughs> Every time I forget something now since then, it's that wondering. And we, unfortunately, hear so much stuff. Now, do I think there's something to the age? And I think people, oh, you know, of, of these two leading a country. Yeah, I think we're going to hear more and more of that, whether you want to accept ageism as, as, hey, you can't do that. You can't accept that. My biggest concern always is, do we have the right people running whatever? I don't care about mm -hmm. their age. If someone's the right person to lead your country, that's to me. Yeah. And that's on the people, the voters and, and everything like that. When these when people complain about these two guys, you stop and say, but, but they're, they're the ones you rolled out. <laughs> the ones that yeah. got there and it wasn't just on money you know it wasn't so i find that very frustrating to put people in that position and then tear them down i, I completely I just find agree it awful. and i also think like it's such a weird situation because everyone's always like and don't laugh at me because like i am not a politically correct person at the best of times i'm not into politics at all um whenever there's a vote i kind of get cody to lay things out for me in layman's terms and then i'll be like okay right yeah i'll pick that guy but <laughs> i think it's interesting because everyone's always like they want the younger guy but then they also want someone that has lots of experience and lots of you know history behind them and mm. i i just feel like sometimes you can't always have the best of both worlds. No, no. We want that, though. As, as human beings, yeah. we always want the guarantee. Get the younger guy because he's going to be sharper on the ball and bring a fresh idea. Ah, oh, no, he'll bring some quirky, crazy stuff and we'll be in trouble. He'll be quicker to hit the button. You know, there's always a reason where we default mm -hmm. back and we don't like change. So we stick with so much what we know, but yet that's the first thing we scream for. Change! And... I know I've always been frustrated over the whole mentality of the bullying. We want the person that's going to go out there and bully. In this document, he uh, was described as a well-intentioned old man. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sorry. Like, it, come on. It's important to separate sort of like charisma from competence. You know, is this person just right. a, a terrible speaker, but exceptional at what they do or sort of like the opposite mm -hmm. in, in terms of uh you know cognitive uh sort of 
competence. I feel like that's a terrible way of putting it. But I, I think in that case, you just have to rely on the science, you know, rely on the cognitive tests that you have, not on your own personal gut feeling of sort of, you know, d d has this person slipped up uh, too many times. And in terms of competence and trust and all that, uh, I think one really has to try and separate that from sort of, is this person a good speaker or not, which we're mm -hmm. always very hard pressed to do, I think, as humans. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things yeah, I have an issue with. I've always said, oh, wow, they speak so well. Does that translate to experience, education, what, or are they just good at talking? And, mm -hmm. and, and you don't know. You hope for all of that, but you don't know. Uh, Beth, thanks for jumping in here and covering off headlines today. We're, we're up on time. Awesome. I'll be back Wednesday. Okie dokie. Beth Thier joining us, our reporter, producer out in Edmonton, covering off headlines for us. We do headlines on Monday and Wednesdays here on Kelly and Rumya. Up next, we speak with Amy Amanti about her art show, Through My Lens. We learn more about the show and what it's like for Amy touring around Canada. We bring her on after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Rumya on AMI-tv. So if you can't be with us for the live show on AMI-tv at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, check us out over on AMI-audio starting at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen into the show. Repeats of the program. Here they come, folks. 10 p.m. Eastern Time on both AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Overnight on AMI-tv at 1 a.m. in the morning and 6 a.m. in the morning on AMI-audio. Always wonderful to have you joining us wherever you are listening in, maybe on TuneIn Radio or OO Tunes around the world via AMI-audio. And, of course, watching us on AMI-tv throughout Canada. Today, I'm sitting here with Grant Hardy. I'm Kelly McDonald. Lots of great conversations every Monday, and especially today as we span the gamut really from tech to headlines to now art. And joining us now to chat more about her art show, Through My Lens, is Amy Amanti. Hey, Amy, welcome to the program. Hi, Grant. Hi, Kelly. How are you both? Excellent. We're doing pretty good. Hope you're hanging <laughs> in there as well on this Monday. And uh, just to start off, can you give us a small synopsis of Through My Lens? Oh gosh, where do I begin? Yeah, Through My Lens is um, uh, kind of a, you can't really call it a show. It's not a play, but it's a live, um, it's a live interactive theater piece. Uh, I'm the solo performer in it. Mm -hmm. And it's on my intersection of photography and blindness. And often people say, how to how, how do people who are blind or low vision take photographs? So that's what we explore. It's a small, intimate audience experience where I bring somebody out from the audience. They come up on stage and the stage um, is designed with three projector screens. So they're kind of, um, you could reach to the top of them if you extend your hand. So they're like a six foot by, uh, by 10 feet. There's three of them and photographs come up on these while you're sitting immersed in them. The audience is watching and we talk through the photographs and it, it, it's a progression, right? It's a narrative. So it's sort of my story that's narrated narrated um, and you are describing things, but it's more than just description. It's not really about description because I ask you to place yourself into the photograph, right? So what do you hear? What do you smell? What other things are happening around you? You know, if you were in this place, what would you be experiencing? Who's inside that place, right? So we combine memory and experience and shared collective um, emotion in the space and we go to some really interesting places. 
really cool concept and we yeah. actually have a clip from <gasps> one of your shows uh let's go ahead and roll that now what would be really helpful for me is if i could learn from you about what you see in this photo there's a ray of sunshine lines by the sun yeah. yeah the light lines from the sun yeah absolutely a blast of kind of heaven like God light in the in the left corner, like it's like kind of the hand of God going, I'm speaking to you now, Moses. And there's something I have to say, like quite extraordinarily beautiful about this picture to me. I don't know if that's because I know you're blind. <laughs> From a medical perspective, I'm I'm an anomaly in that when doctors look at my retina today, that's now reattached, it appears to be perfectly intact, yet I have no central sight. I would like to share with you one of the portraits that I took of you earlier. How does it make you feel? Happy. Yeah? Yes. Yeah? Makes me smile. <laughs> you want to see what my eye sees? Yeah. I think it's beautiful. Something about it being less distinct, less exactly what it is. Cool. Okay. I will give you a copy of this photo. Here you go. Oh my God, just like that. Is it the version that you see? Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Sounds like Incredible. some really intimate moments. Oh yeah, my goodness, so, really incredible. Right um, at the end there, the photograph that I give folks has a filter on it that kind of mimics how I see. Yeah, uh, that was what I wondered. Them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, we explore some of that. With with this, and Amy, we're going to ask you about what kind of brought this to be in a second, mm -hmm. but I always find it interesting because so many low vision and blind people are so interested in photography, interested in playing. And earlier I was talking about a friend of mine who, who's never seen and his viewpoint of, well, I don't have the concept where to hold my camera to take the picture because we, even with our phones, do get so much feedback now to, to allow us at least to take a selfie or or to get a shot or something, or it's not as tricky as we might think to get an image, send to somebody and say, what is this? Well, tell me what's here, or whether it be be my eyes or, or something like that. So when you, back when, this show mm -hmm. was born in your mind to do. Walk us through that process because I think what what is fascinating with something like this, not just because you're low vision, it's the fact that how do you get to where what we're seeing now, pulling people up on stage, getting the pictures, but this being when you conceive that I'd like to share with people what I see, not necessarily, how I enjoy the hobby of taking pictures. Walk us down that, that hall. Sure, yeah. I mean... I met, um, I was, I was uh, in a mall getting my first iPhone and struggling with trying to make my first phone call because I had no idea how to use it. Um, I really thought it would be as simple as going in and coming out using an iPhone as anybody who's got right. a first iPhone without figuring out how to use the swipes <laughs> and, and the voiceover. It's not that easy. Um, and I was sitting on a bench with my white cane and a woman approached me and she was a retired teacher of the deaf. Um, and she had a husband who was a photography, I don't know how to describe it other than wizard, um, you know, been doing photography for 30 plus years. This was about 10 years ago in my life, um, 30 plus years, you know, National Geographic tours, like, you know, real photography guy teaches at some of the top universities here in Vancouver. And um, she thought we should meet. And turns out they lived in my neighborhood. And we started on this journey of how would I, how could I? I was curious too. And in fact, to be honest with you, because I lost my sight at 24, unexpectedly at the age of 24, I had thought that I had lots of time to study photography. And yeah, it turns out I did, right? 
Mm -hmm. right? And so I thought maybe I'd lost the opportunity to even play with photography. So Rick and I went on this adventure to figure out what could be done. And so my concept is about finding the light. And so what most photographers do, and you know this, Kelly, you pointed this out by using even the, the artificial intelligence that tells you what's in the photo. That's the content. We call that the subject of the photo. So it tells you there's a bike or a tree or a bench or whatever's in the photo. I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't look for that stuff. I don't care about that stuff. None of that stuff interests me. I just get in my 2% vision light. And I point my camera at patches of light. Yep. So that's why I haven't really seen the photos because I'm just capturing light and I'm clicking the shutter at light and whatever's there is there. And you know, you take a thousand photos and 10 of them are good. That's the concept of photography anyways. But sometimes I take a photo like the one that they were talking about has this really ugly fence in it. And most photographers would look at a photo like that and go, I'd never take that mm -hmm. photo. It's got a really ugly fence. No. But the light in that photo, what people are talking about is so astoundingly beautiful that you don't care that there's a fence there. And that's the difference in my photography is the light is what makes photos. And if you don't care that there's a fence or a half a dog's tail or whatever's in it, it's the light that you're looking for. So that's what I'm looking for. My process is called finding the light. And when I, I take find portraits that fascinating. of people, wow. yeah, when, mm -hmm. I, when I take the mm -hmm. portraits of individuals, I'm listening for moments. So I don't see what's on their face. I don't ask them to pose. You know, when you go get a headshot or into yep. your, I want to yep. say the Sears portrait studio, right? And they ask you to pose. Yeah. I, I ask them to tell me about themselves, tell me about their families, tell me about moments in their lives. And when they laugh or giggle or put their hands on their face or, you know, you hear a moment, that's yep. when I take the, the photo. 100%. I totally get it. I, like I've done that just with scenes of people, you know, you, you know, I, when I want to get it described as I've played with this now, I want to know someone's hand is half doing that. But what, going back to the light, I recall too, yeah. being a child going out into the woods, my favorite place to be for what you talked about. Um, the light would hit my eyes, totally blow out whatever I could see anyway. But I used to kind of like the it almost seems smoky to me. That's how I would describe it as a person with the kind of vision that I had. It it filled things in. So when I was listening to the description, especially the person with the hand of God coming down, you know, mm -hmm. I, I understood in my way what they meant, whether it was like a clearing and lots of light coming in or that shininess off of off of the eye. So very fascinating because I totally, you know, we always think, oh, you're taking a picture of a specific thing. Whether you find that thing back up from it and say, I should be able to get all of it in the shot, you're doing something so different and totally interesting to share with an audience. Yeah. And every person that sits mm -hmm. in that seat and has a conversation with me, it's different every time. So some people share with me their most devastating moments. Some people share their happiest moments. Like it can go anywhere. Yep. Um, and so yeah. I'm all, always, always having to hold space, right? For whatever comes next. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about what you think that it is that inspires or maybe sustains your your interest in photography i'm wondering if maybe there would be a difference let's say between me who's never had vision or for right. you where it's kind of like a, a loss but i'm wondering what i guess what keeps you engaged in that world is it the stories that you hear what, what do you think it is for you oh that's a good question grant um i think it's probably a couple of things one is is that um for me, there's sort of this, I don't know if it's a cheeky little thing, but I kind of like imagining what people 
see when they look at me out in the world with a white cane and a camera. Something about that gives me a chuckle <laughs> in my soul. <laughs> right? yeah, it just yeah, gives me yeah. a chuckle in my soul. It does. Because um, I, I can only imagine what people are thinking or, you know, the double takes or any of that kind of stuff. Oh, that um, poor little woman playing photographer. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> right? Or like, what? How does that work? Or is she faking it? Or like, whatever it is, right? Love um, it. And, and the other part of me, and we talk about this in the show is I kind of want to maybe break down the convention of what blindness is to some extent, like something about that interests me in a way, because we live in this world where systemically, um, people think that again, it's right off the top of my show. I'm made to feel broken often, and I'm made to mm. feel like my life has little value or little purpose. Often when I'm out in the world, we know this, like 75% of our community doesn't work, not because we don't want mm. to. But because most of the time people are like, well, how could you possibly, right? Um, You've got so more just, important things to worry about than eating, right? than paying your rent. Exactly. And so how do things like this, you know, there's a lot of things in the show that we do that is more show than tell. And that's a concept of theater. So if I pour you a cup of tea and I use a liquid leveler uh, and it beeps, people don't know what that is. And I don't explain it to mm. them. It just happens. Yeah. So yeah. there are things that happen in this show that aren't about um, explaining to them how I do stuff. Um, if they watch me fumble on a camera to find the shutter, I don't explain to them why I do it. That's just how I do it. It's not a, it's not like I'm not pretending. That's how I would find a shutter on a camera very carefully so I don't hit other buttons and disrupt settings, right? Um, so my yeah, fingers dance sure. like a spider crawling on, you know, searching for prey. So, yep. um, so this is, this is, you know, something interesting about that sort of education advocacy piece combined with art. Uh, interests me about this show and something about the shared experience with other people um, because for me the descriptions can be so different but does it matter it really doesn't it's my memory of being in a place where i took the photo it's not the photo itself so i get to reciprocate with the memory of what i felt when i was in that place we're pretty little short on time here you've talked a little bit about what people take away from the show do you want to talk about what it's like how cool is it to be touring across canada Super cool to tour across Canada. So we've been to Kingston, Ontario. We've been to Ottawa. Uh, we did it here in Vancouver. I think we're going to look at Victoria. We're also looking at perhaps London, England, which would be a little outside of Canada and what international festivals we can do. Um, so we've got quite some notoriety with this little piece. Um, I still call it a little piece, but we're getting wonderful feedback. It's really quite exciting. And still in my course, sometimes I think, why are people interested in this? This is just my life. Um, but people become really moved. Um, and I I am thrilled that people are enjoying this. So I think it goes back to what you said, fun. Amy. They look at you and say, how is this, what is this, what, what an interesting costume for what kind of show is this woman rushing off to? Well, come and yeah. see what I'm gonna, what I'm gonna share with you. Different perspectives, right? Different perspectives. Yeah, very much. Very yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I, uh, I think the traveling is, is really a, a nice, a nice experience to what you get a chance to do and where. Uh, is there anywhere you're doing the show soon? Yeah, I think probably Victoria will be the next place. If we get accepted this fall uh, to London, England, I'll let you know. But that would be coming Great. this fall if that was for this festival. And I will tell you, like, I just got home last night from Ottawa um, and I flew in a pod. Wow. I mean, I was in a pod. You get to lie literally <laughs> horizontal on a flight. I slept like a baby the whole way home. I That's guess. the life, Amy. Right? Yeah, it was pretty Keep fun. Keep us That's posted. Awesome. Good luck with the show. That Thanks, was Amy Amanti. That was Amy Amanti talking about her art show through my lens. 
Okay, folks, we'll step aside for two minutes. On Know Your Rights today, Danielle McLaughlin is joined by law student Nimesh Charali to talk about the Innocence Project. And the Lions Foundation of Canada Dog Guides are looking for volunteers who have type 1 diabetes to participate in a program. Devin Wilkins will be here shortly to share a little bit more about that. Up next, however, ever wonder how our donkey friends fare in the Canadian climate? There's an upcoming webinar that answers said question. Community reporter Annette Dennis tells us all about it after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv.
Welcome back to the program. Grant's joining me today, Kelly McDonald here, as we walk you through this edition of Kelly and Ramya. So the donkey conversation, Grant, <laughs> I know before we started, uh, as I said, I'm more used to people talking about goats and their interests there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the donkey's fascinating. It is. It's really cool. I feel like there's so many animals, as uh, Annette was saying, too, that, you know, we just not only we, are we ignorant about, we just laugh at or, you know, we, we kind of associate them with stereotypes from, you know, yes. literature we've read. But it's it's so cool to appreciate, you know, these are intelligent, sociable, sentient animals, right? Well, and I love that. People are interested, like, this is the one thing about making the world smaller via the internet, or just saying, if I'm interested in this, someone else might be. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people get that when they do their blogs, when they post something on YouTube or, or on TikTok, and they find so many people listening, not just clicking, oh, talk about donkeys, clicking off, but actually staying with it. And that tells you, hey, they're curious. So really exactly. cool, these things. Really cool and super unique, too. Uh, let's move on here. On the second Monday of each month, we have our Guide and Service Animal Report with Devin Wilkins. Do you have a soft spot for dogs with jobs? I'm Devin Wilkins, here with the latest news from the world of Guide and Service Dogs. Devin, thanks for joining us. You're on the, uh, I think we've got you on the phone there, right? Yeah, we Perfect. ran into a few tech problems, but we're uh -huh. here. As long as we have you, we are good. And we're starting with the Lions Foundation of Canada Dog Guides Program is looking for volunteers. Can you talk a little bit about the, what they're doing? Yeah, I think this is quite uh, unique that uh, they're looking for volunteers other than uh, puppy raisers. So mm -hmm. what they want is people, and it's a very specific request, what they want is are people with type 1 diabetes. And what they're hoping to do is to uh, farm uh, almost trained diabetes alert dogs out to people with type 1 diabetes for the last 7 to 14 days of their training. Um, I, I guess they want the, the dogs to be uh, uh, to be um, exposed to the actual scent of, uh, of someone who has um, uh, lows and uh, and that they aren't aware of the uh, hypoglycemic uh, lows that they're having. And uh, the best way to do that is to put them with and match them up, um, even if it's just for a few days, to make sure that they stay... Um, right up to, to date with their training and that sort of thing. So they're hoping that um, if you have type 1 diabetes, that you'll get in touch with the uh, school in Oakville and uh, let them know and uh, that you'll take in uh, a dog. 
for the last 7 to 14 days of their training, which I think is quite a unique opportunity. I'll say. Literally, like, quote-unquote, on-the-job, you know, placement, replacement uh, training. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Mm, is it ever and very interesting on the topic and we were just talking about this on the show not too long ago because i was wondering about the combination of with so many people out there devon who have diabetes that are low or no vision and wondering hey is there any dogs out there to handle that and your second topic is kind of an interesting one as far as i'm concerned on this topic wait list for diabetes dogs is open yeah that's right um, uh, just uh, a comment, if I may, on what you were just saying there, Kelly. I don't think that they do any, um, I'm going to call them combo training. Me too, a combine mm. dogs. Yes, yes. It's, yeah. Uh-huh. It's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah it's yeah. interesting because I know uh, the guide dog school that I went to years and years ago, they tried to train dogs to pick up dropped like objects but some dogs could be fantastic guide dogs but just never really get how to pick up the objects and they stopped doing it because people said well i want the combo dog so it brings up an interesting point you know what if you're blind but you also want an anxiety or diabetes dog but i guess we're not maybe not quite there yet with all the schools no i guess not no yeah so um especially since the uh uh, beginning of the pandemic, uh, they've had uh, shortages of of dogs, so they have to kind of have uh, wait lists uh, mm. for the various types of dogs. And uh, in uh, Oakville, what they do is uh, they'll open a wait list for one type of dog, like diabetes uh, alert dogs, and keep that open for uh, a few days or a few weeks or whatever, and then close that one and open something else. And um, that's the situation with the diabetes alert dogs for the moment. Now, unfortunately, we're catching it really near the end of that wait list uh, because it uh, finishes on the 16th. So if you're looking to be trained with a diabetes alert dog, you need to get right to it and uh, uh, let them know of your interest in uh, doing that because the uh, the program will close, uh, at least the wait list will close uh, on the 16th. Friday. And yeah. then wow. you have to wait. Yeah. Um, so if Devin, you go Devin, to the what's website, this wait list look like? Before you get give us that, is it kind of like first come, first serve within that window? They'll take as many. They, they wouldn't close the window earlier because if they had, oh, my goodness, we only really can do about six people over the course before the next window we open mm-hmm. um, time frame or whatever. They would take the amount of people that registered in order, reach out to them and let inform them of their, you know, hey, listen, you're on the wait list. This is our intent. This is the situation. Is that how that would look? I think what they do is choose randomly if there are more oh, than, I think there are 15 or 16 spots available, if I'm not mistaken. And um, if there were 20 applicants, 
they would uh, choose randomly and uh, put the uh, other four or whatever on the uh, wait list for the next time. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. And where do you want them? Okay. Well, that's interesting. And sorry, where should they reach out? Yeah, go to the website, uh, and uh, which I think is on your blog, and um, uh, definitely express your interest right away. Yeah, because it will close. Just, it's going to close on Friday. Sorry. Yeah, people could probably just Google the name of that test of the school, and it'll it'll come right up. But interesting. Yeah. Uh, a, Interesting approach to that they're uh, they're sort of giving first come first serve and some random opportunities as well, which I think is kind of a, a neat situation there because it uh, can be a bit of a disadvantage if you're not always the fastest at filling out the form or what have you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's re- that's um, right. And then so- on the fourth of March. Um, the uh, wait list for the uh, seizure um, alert uh, dogs will open. And so if you're wanting to, uh, to get on that list, uh, uh, mark uh, March 4th on your calendar because the wait list will open and, and you can do that. They didn't give us any um, end date for that wait list. Like they did for the diabetes alert. Yeah, so on March 4th, uh, just uh, have a look. I think the link is um, is in yeah, the... Yeah, uh, just, just, just Google, uh, uh, is it... Lions Foundation. Lions Club, Lions Foundation Guide Dogs Program. Dog Guide. Dog they Guide, oh, my apologies. Dog guide. Right. <laughs> Always yeah. get me mixed up there. Um... <laughs> So do we want to talk about BarkFest? Sounds intriguing. Yeah. um, Just this year, Guide Dog Users of Canada um, has uh, introduced a a monthly get-together called BarkFest. And it's a very informal thing. So if uh, if you want to get in there and... uh, ask for um, maybe peer support on the subject or if you just want to talk about dogs and uh, uh, exchange uh, comical stories, you can do that. So just uh, that's happening tonight. Uh, I believe it's starting at 7 o'clock Eastern, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, So, uh, yeah. Um, you can do that and, and enjoy. Now, mm. I will say that the more formal presentations, if they have speakers and that sort of thing, um, they call it sniffing it out because you're okay. out of <laughs> And um, uh, they're planning one of those for International Guide Dog Day which is the uh, fourth fourth Wednesday in April, fourth Wednesday in April every year. And I believe it falls on the 24th of April this year. So we're hoping to have uh, actually somebody from the um, International Guide Dog Federation 
come and uh, chat about how the uh, Federation was founded and how many schools are represented there and uh, any other, he'll answer, Bill Thornton uh, will answer any other questions that you have. Awesome. Um, I'm curious, Devin, what stories have you ever provided? Uh, we have you coming up next week on Voices uh, here on the on the network, so you'll be back with us. But I'm curious, have you provided a story for this ever? Uh, not for this. I, I, I certainly could. <laughs> for example, <laughs> the other yeah. night, uh, the other night I had to make a minute a uh, decision within five minutes as to. Uh, whether to uh, go to a murder mystery rehearsal uh, and, and not take Jackson or to take him with me, or, uh, yeah, either not go or, or, or um, uh, you know, just uh, take him with me and see what happened. And ah. so I decided to leave him here, and next thing I knew, I came home and found people sitting in my apartment where were you? <laughs> he oh. was barking up a storm. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, and I've had I him mean, almost a year, and I've never heard him bark. I oh, mean, he wanted, wanted to go to the murder mystery. Like, come on. I know he did, yes. <laughs> he wanted to solve it. <laughs> he, he wanted did, to solve yes. it. <laughs> It's always always amazing how they 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 stand up for themselves. They stand up for the for what they want. <laughs> oh, I know it's, they definitely make they do. known. <laughs> they do. Devin, fantastic talking to you. Thanks for coming on. Nice to chat with you and I look forward to chatting with you next week. And All right. We will chat with you next week on Voices and on the second Monday of each month for our guard dog and service animal report. Okay, folks, we take a quick break as we step aside because today on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin is joined by law student Nima Shirali. They're going to be talking about the Innocence Project. That conversation ahead, another good one from Know Your Rights right after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. At the top of the show, Michael Babcock was asking us about, you know, that kind of tough time you might have when you know as you hit the air, oh, I don't have it today. Oh, my goodness. Of course, <laughs> and liking it to sports, I'll always do that, Grant, one way or another. But, Grant, for you, again, in liking it to sports, you know, you get these guys who have to always be in game-ready performance shape, all set to go in case there's some injuries that befall the team. Well, you, we've asked, Grant, be always ready. Just assume something's going to happen to one of these clowns and they're going to be gone. Is that, are you finding that hard? Because you got to schedule really, your day out. Yeah, it's really exciting. But when I expressed interest and started going through the training for, for co-hosting, I had a few people uh, who I know personally are just like, are you sure this is what you want, Grant? Like, there's going to be a lot more pressure, you know? Um, but ultimately, it's it's a heck of a lot of fun. Hanging out with you guys. Oh, Always good. Always a good day. Awesome. Awesome, sir. Well, we appreciate it. And it's certainly comforting because, you know, sometimes we figure, well, you know, I, I better go. I better get in there. And we've had some wonderful success with with uh, other backup co-hosts that we've had. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, Margaret, uh, Brock, 
and the lady we're bringing on now who talks with us every Monday. We call the segment Know Your Rights. It's Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. So many things we learn about, so many things we get to discover via these conversations, get educated about, and mostly informed one way or another. And of course, always bringing somebody wonderful on to talk, Danielle McLaughlin. Welcome back. Thank you. Lovely to see you guys together again today. And I am very pleased because we have another special guest today. Uh, his name is Nima Shirali. And like our own Pro Bono Students Canada volunteer, Ashani Pires, Nima is a second year law student at Osgood Hall Law School as well. Uh, Nima has chosen to do a clinic placement this year with Osgood's Innocence Project, and we're going to learn a lot more about that. Welcome, Nima. Thank you very much, Daniel. I appreciate your invitation. Uh, it's delightful to have you with us. Now, can you tell us a bit about the Innocence Project and what you're doing there? Yes. So the Innocence Project was established in 1992 at the Cardozo School of Law by Barry Sheck and Peter Neufeld. And the emphasis there was on uh, focusing on <clears throat> DNA testing, post-conviction DNA testing, um, in cases where wrongful convictions uh, were suspected. And uh, since then, the project has spread uh, to various uh, chapters, and uh, the Osgood Innocence Project was Canada's first innocence project established in this country. And... Um, what I'm doing there, just like uh, every other student that is placed within the clinic, uh, we first receive uh, doctrinal or theoretical training uh, within the, uh, the first part of the clinic. Uh, and uh, after that, we have an opportunity to apply what we've learned in, uh, in an actual case or in a number of files. That is, we'll take a, a, a particular uh, file where um, new evidence may shed light on uh, uh, the integrity of the person's conviction, and then we'll follow that up to see whether we could uh, apply for a ministerial review to have that conviction reviewed. So this is a real hands-on piece of work that you're doing. I, I mean, you learn the theory, but uh, you're working towards helping somebody who's been wrongfully convicted. This is, in my view, an extremely important uh, effort. Now, some of us are, are puzzled. Why is it that there even are wrongful convictions? How do they happen? That's a, an important question. There are several systemic causes. Um, and if we look at uh, the uh, literature where we could actually scan the studies that have been conducted to address that very question, we see that the principal cause has been mistaken eyewitness identification. And uh, uh, I think a very good place to begin for anyone interested is by looking at uh, um, uh, Judge, Judge Jerome Frank's book published in 1957 entitled Not Guilty. And uh, in that book, Judge Frank points out um, uh, that uh, sometimes what is lost in memory is often replaced by uh, what he refers to as the products of imagination. And um, he points out that honest bias actually could come in to fill in the gaps 
of memory. So uh, if a particular event occurs and um, a, a person um, tries their best to recollect what has occurred, um, the question there is uh, whether their, mm, their honest bias could lead to what uh, Judge Frank refers to as uh, uh, unconscious prejudice in the trial. Yeah. Uh, so you, you does, may be sure that you saw something, but you may also be wrong. That is correct. That is correct. And uh, the, the witness that is testifying in a trial is under oath or solemn affirmation, and uh, their their conscience is bound to tell the truth, and they are convinced that they are telling the truth. But uh, the question is, is the evidence reliable? And much of the time, the evidence is not reliable, and that leads to wrongful convictions. But What are uh, some of the uh, other reasons that, that a person might be wrongfully convicted? Another cause is uh, false confessions. So a, a person is being interrogated by a police officer in relation to a crime, and uh, they actually confess to something that they did not do, right? Why and would somebody do that? I mean, I, it, it's there, very hard for most of us to imagine that any of us would confess to a crime that we had not committed. Why would? What are the possible reasons for that? And therein lies the problem, because for the trier of fact, a confession is extremely persuasive, mm -hmm. if not decisive, for them to reach their verdict. There are various reasons for that, and actually one of the cases that the Osgood Innocence Project has worked on has, has involved um, a false confession. Um, one reason, uh, regrettably, is that uh, the person being interrogated actually psychologically becomes demoralized. They fall apart after six, seven, 10, 11 hours of being interrogated. And uh, they are told things like, as long as you say you did it, you can go home. Yeah. Um, you know, and and uh, being in that state of being demoralized, they just say that they have uh, committed something that they did not do just because they want that ordeal to end. Um, that's 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 one reason. Another reason could be someone uh, covering for someone else. That uh, unfortunately happens uh, within a lot of uh, cases where there are groups involved or there have been a number of people involved in an offense, and one person will take the blame for another. But ultimately, it still is a wrongful conviction. That is, that uh, the actual perpetrator of the offense is uh, uh, does not meet justice. The wrong person is being punished, and the victim or the victims of the crime, uh, there's also an injustice imposed on them. And so no matter what the cause of the false confession, ultimately the result is the same, and that is the wrong person is being punished. Yeah, boy, that, it, it, it's, it's hard to get your mind around these things happening. I guess a lot of people would assume that um, the person who confesses to a crime they hadn't committed had been coerced to do that, but in, in your scenario, that's not always the case. The, um, are there people who believe that they may have committed a crime when they in fact have not? Uh, that is a very interesting question. Um, it, 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 that certainly is possible. Uh, it, it, in, in one of the cases that the Osgood Innocence Project has been involved in, uh, that the person confessed to having committed the crime um and uh and then recanted but uh, uh but but that had no effect unfortunately on his 
ultimately being convicted. And then there were various reasons uh, over the years uh, provided for why that had happened. One of the reasons uh, was a, a, a psychologically related reason uh, uh, they, that, that the person actually may have had uh, some kind of antisocial disorder and uh, they may have uh, uh, confessed falsely in order to you know, feel important or feel, um, uh, uh, you know, a sense of importance, essentially. Social. Well, I guess it would make you the uh, center of attention if you confess to a crime, whether or not you actually committed it. This, these are these are troubling thoughts. Now, the Innocence Project at, at Osgood has been running for quite some time. Do you know how many innocent people have been cleared by its work? Uh, well, there's two two examples that uh, come to mind, at least, and uh, these are the two that uh, uh, that 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 are spoken about within uh, within the uh, the people that are involved in, in in innocence and investigating potential wrongful convictions. Um, uh, so there are at least two that come to mind. Yes, uh, the case of Romeo Filion and uh, Gary Staples. So, can you tell us a bit about one of those cases? So Romeo Filion, uh, first of all, these were both murder murder cases. Uh, one occurred in 1971. Um, uh, that was Gary Staples, and then a year later in 1972, Romeo Filion was uh, was convicted. Uh, Romeo Filion, uh, uh, there were two problems with that case. Number one, uh, it was ultimately revealed, and this is what led to the Crown uh, withdrawing the charges, was that uh, within the police file, there was actually a uh, statement made by a detective uh, confirming that he had a verified alibi and that he could not have been in Ottawa, which is where the uh, crime was uh, perpetrated at the time that it was that it was committed. Uh, but uh, that memo was uh, very regrettably not admitted into evidence. It was not even tendered. It was just sitting in his file. And uh, it was not until... Uh, Many years later, after um, he'd served about a quarter century in prison, uh, that uh, uh, that his parole officer discovered this evidence, and so um, uh, it's it was uh, that was one part of the problem that uh, it was not disclosed that uh, that he had a verified alibi, and the other part was that he falsely confessed, and this was the example that I had mentioned earlier, uh, that he confessed and then he recanted. Um, and uh, so he so, confessed, uh, even though he had an alibi for the the, the time of, that the crime was committed. Wow. That is correct. That is correct. And uh, when the police uh, asked him to reenact uh, or reenact mm -hmm. uh, what had happened, uh, that is, uh, you know, he he mentioned that uh, he could take the police to a particular bridge where he uh, disposed of uh, his bloodied clothing after he had perpetrated the crime and he was uh, he was unable to do that he was unable to lead them there and he led to a particular place where uh, it was it just made no physical sense where that could have happened um and uh unfortunately still he ultimately served 31 years in prison before uh before the uh crown decided to uh, withdraw the charges and that was of course done with uh, the help of uh about 40 Osgood students in, in a five-year period. Uh, this, this is, so. you know, it's it, it took an awfully long time, but it's good to know that at the end of the day, that project did its work. It, is the law school project 
linked with the nonprofit organization Innocence Canada? Yes, we uh, collaborate. In fact, a number of my colleagues are uh, are doing their placement with Innocence Canada. Uh, with this particular case that I have indicated, Romeo Filion, when uh, the application for ministerial review happened, and I'll just explain quickly what that is. Uh, since uh, 1892, the Minister of Justice has had uh, the power to review convictions in this country. Uh, uh, and the principal concern there has been uh, to determine whether there has been what is called a miscarriage of justice. And uh, so if, if, if all the appeals have been exhausted, as was the case with Filion, that is, his case went all the way to the Supreme Court in 1977, and the Supreme Court dismissed his appeal. Uh, in that case, then uh, we have to do a ministerial application, an application for ministerial review under Section 696 of the Criminal Code. And when that was done in this case, the Osgood Hall, uh, the Osgood Innocence Project collaborated with Innocence Canada to do that. So they did that together. Okay. So there's a very close relationship uh, between well, That's two. really good to know that people are working in concert. You know, this is a serious problem. How, in your opinion, could we prevent wrongful convictions from happening in the future? Uh, I think that, uh, well, this very program here is uh, evidence that uh, this is a... a, a, a a great start, I could say. I mean, what you're doing here is very important. It is raising awareness. Uh, the members of the jury in any future criminal proceedings are extracted from the citizenry. It's important that uh, the uh, citizenry know of this problem. Um, so that's one part, is to raise awareness. Second, from the perspective of lawyering, especially from the perspective of the defense lawyer, uh, these cases that I have indicated uh, clearly demonstrate that uh, effective lawyering is absolutely key and it could be um, uh, really, it could help determine a person's fate. And so in this particular case, diligent lawyering means that we must make sure that all key information is disclosed uh, and it is tendered and, and uh, it is part of the trial. And, well, Nima, uh, I think that this is, you know, one of the things that Nima told me, Kelly, that uh, I would like to share is that this is the kind of work he plans to go into once he's graduated from law school and starts practicing law. And I think that we all should feel a little safer with people like Nima Shirali taking on this kind of extremely important work. I think it's uh, a, a real plus to know that there are people like you, Nima, who are aware of what's happening and are out there working to make sure that more wrongful convictions don't occur. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Danielle, for your invitation. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. That was Aim. Osgood Hall law student Nima Shirali talking with us today about wrongful convictions and his work on the Innocence Project. You know, Danielle, I always love the fire that um, that people have. You never know what is going to intrigue someone, what is going to hit that validation button, and I really love that. And it's discussions like that where you hear about a person's process and their desires. Thank you very much for bringing them forward. We'll talk with you next week on more Know Your Rights. Thank you.
Danielle McLaughlin is here every Monday on the program. Excuse me, correct myself. We'll talk to Danielle in two weeks on Know Your Rights. We are not here next Monday on the program. But we are here, Grant and I, after the break to tell you what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. Preview our program and our closing moment. So don't, folks, do me a favor. Don't hop away. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. I mentioned it earlier, folks. Enjoy Kelly and Ramya via your podcast platform. Whichever one you like, look for us over there if you would. Subscribe to the program if you haven't. Give us a rating and review if you don't mind. When you get a moment and enjoy the show in any way that you feel you'd like to take it in, whether it's in segment form or the complete program itself is available to you there, including the audio vanity card. That's our podcast, the Kelly and Rumya podcast, available to you to take with you to listen when. We'd appreciate any time you have for us in any way that you consume the show, whether it's here daily, uh, through one of the repeats, or our live show on AMI-tv, whatever works best for you. With me today, Grant Hardy's been joining us, and Grant has an idea of what the gang is talking about on our morning show on AMI-tv, now with Dave Brown. So for tomorrow's show, if you're a bookworm, how do you choose which book to read next? Well, people often turn to online reviews to make the right uh, decision. Uh, but freelance journalist Rebecca Dingwell of Nova Scotia will discuss the harsh reality of some of those online reviews and their mm-hmm. trust- trustworthiness. Mm, can only imagine. Plus, Lawrence Gunther from the Outdoors podcast will be discussing the pros and cons of hydrogen as an energy source. And... Alex will be the guest MC as he quizzes Elizabeth Moeller, Karen McGee, and Alicia Yardley on their knowledge of current events as part of the weekly news quiz. That's tomorrow on now. It's amazing online how many reviews, how many <laughs> thought processes are based on, I don't like you, I have a personal grudge, I hated when, you are, this is what I think, so I'm going to oh, give yeah. you a bad review, even though it has nothing to do with this <laughs> This that's oh, being yeah. reviewed. Reading any reviews is like five stars, awesome, the ne- next is one star, oh, this is a piece of crap, you know, whatever, yeah. next five yeah. stars, fantastic, I'm like, really? Now I don't know what to do. <laughs> Well, and I know we go by, we want to know, is it worth reading? Is it? But you got to, and I sometimes get tired of the long-winded review, but at least it's sort of like teachers used to say, show your work so I know where you're thinking, where you're going. And sometimes you kind of want that with reviews. Um, Oh, yeah. I'm going to hop around all over the place here, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get to our closing moment. A kangaroo was caught hopping around a Tampa, Florida (laughs) uh, housing apartment complex last Thursday morning. This is a news release from the Hillsborough uh, County Sheriff's Office. Early that morning, a confused resident called the authorities about the animal jumping around the pool area. After the seven-year-old kangaroo aptly named Hopper, I think I've said that name once or twice so far. Now, Hopper was removed from the premises. The agriculture unit assisted uh, assisted with the rescue mission. The K-9 aviation unit tried to keep Hopper in the enclosed pool area, just to keep him safe and everything like that and from getting away. Later on, they would lead lead him into a trailer, reported the Tampa Bay Times, once Hopper was in HCO possession and later reunited with the owners. It was confirmed the owners did have the correct paperwork confirming they could own up to two kangaroos. 
So, Grant, what? one of the things that dawned on me is what would you do wandering out, going to get a Grant Hardy coffee, sit in the beautiful weather next to the pool, and this thing come up to you? I mean, being blind, I've always wondered, well, gee, you know, anything that's going to come up to me is probably somebody's dog that got off the leash, a cat that got out of the house, maybe. Not necessarily the skunk that might be wandering, the raccoon oh, that might yeah. be rabid, or the kangaroo that's working on its boxing, doing some shadow boxing. Yeah, it's a good question a good thought because at the time yeah i probably wouldn't think a lot of it probably just oh this is you know large dogs okay. seem to be yeah, exactly but kangaroos can actually i believe be pretty vicious animals so i, don't know. I think so. probably mm -hmm, be a mm -hmm. little concerned and that's the problem right you sit there and you think oh my god why is this kid dressed up in this hot halloween costume and dancing around by the pool but ever is he ever good at whatever he's supposed to be Ooh, a floppy ear isn't this nice <laughs> Grant joined us today to fill in for Rumya. We will be back with another edition of Kelly and Rumya tomorrow here on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Hopefully you will as well. Our nutrition chat will be here tomorrow with Julia Karanchis, of course. We talk about seeds, the differences and benefits of them. Laura Bain discusses a new report which says that Nova Scotia has the highest poverty rate in the country. Ooh, what a conversation there. A little surprising. Mm. Mm-hmm. Grant, thanks again I, yeah. for being with us, pal. Thanks, man. Catch us tomorrow. We're waving at you, folks. Have a wonderful night. So I've talked about the fact that I am interested in football. My family was a football family, but not so much the Super Bowl over the years. I find it funny to listen to a game that is at a neutral place generally, I mean, it's possible for it to be on the home field of one of the participating teams, but it's a neutral place. And I find it kind of disconcerting if I watch it on television and you don't really hear the crowds that much. I was impressed. In a, you know, I mean, I know that the Taylor Swift thing was a really big thing, is a big thing for the NFL and everybody involved and the fans. And, I, and, and that's great. Like, you're going to get that. I mean, People get a kick out of Jack Nicholson when he'd always be at the Laker game. So whatever, they, they're they going to show all the celebrities and there were plenty that, that were there as you've got so many, you know, millions of people watching this thing and enjoying it. So you're going to get that feel. And I think that was a great thing. I think the story is nice, uh, especially for fans of both the Chiefs and Taylor Swift. I wondered, though, about that feel for Usher. Him and Alicia Keys coming out, doing a, a, a very credible halftime show under the conditions um, that are there. Skaters, you know, dancers looking like it, like skating kind of thing, like a, a rink around from my understanding. Um, just the feel of it and under those conditions for somebody who didn't get the bill. Usually we're talking about the commercials and the halftime show as opposed to Taylor Swift. So it was kind of a fluky, strange thing with a strange game, but... I'm sure many of you out there kind of enjoyed that feel. A lot of people, I think we're seeing a, a turn as to what this is going to be. It's an acceptance everywhere that the world comes to a stop. Most sports come to a stop. You just don't, can't find anything. Everything knows. Why bother? It's the NFL. Like, like it's king. No one would come to your games if you held uh, an NHL hockey game that night. Um, you know, I mean, not suggesting for a moment, everyone is a football fan. But the NFL captures people who aren't fans, who are party fans of sitting around with people. It's the thing to do. It's that strange anomaly that happens that one day a year 
where instantaneously you would think there are, are, are football fans. So I always find it amazing when I hear 115 million watch the game. But the reality is a lot of people are at bars, venues, where someone's holding a party. So what does that really mean around the world in amounts of people when they can only really tell you how many televisions are watching and do their assessments from there? Pretty crazy. Then you've got your online numbers. So congratulations to the NFL for <laughs> for really this year being able to capture everyone in so many different ways. And sorry uh, for those who really tried to avoid, didn't want anything to do with it because no matter what, it still affects, affects your life. The Walrus is Canada's conversation and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.